Um, so we looked at Peter's first encounter with Jesus the first week. Uh, and then last week we looked at the time G- Peter followed, decided to follow Jesus for the first time. And it's interesting, here we are, he's following Jesus, and tonight we're going to look at a story where Peter doubts Jesus, like he doubted Jesus. Um, which, which I think this is, this is just fascinating. It's like him doubting Jesus comes, I mean, immediate, like right after Jesus feeds 15,000 people with five loaves of bread. The story of Peter doubting Jesus. And so that's what we're going to look at tonight. And so if you want to, just follow along. Matthew chapter 14, verse, we're going to start in verse 22. We're going to start in verse 22. Man. Um, and we're going to stop at verse 33. All right? So, immediately, he made the disciples get into the boat and go before him to the other side while he dismissed the crowds. And after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. When evening came, he was there alone. But the boat by this time was a long way from the land, beaten by the waves, for the wind was against them. And in the fourth watch of the night, he came to them, walking on the sea. But when the disciples saw him walking on the sea, they were terrified and said, It is a ghost! And they cried out in fear, but immediately... Jesus spoke to them, saying, Take heart, it is I, do not be afraid. And Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. And he said, Come. So Peter got out of the boat and walked on the water and came to Jesus. But when he saw the wind, he was afraid, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, Save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him, saying to him, Oh, you of little faith, why do you doubt? Why did you doubt? And when they got into the boat, the wind ceased, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, Truly, you are the Son of God. This is God's word. It's good. Let's pray. Uh, Father, thank you so much uh, that you speak to us uh, continually through your word. Uh, that you even speak to us tonight because you love us. Um, and so I pray now that you, by your grace and through your spirit, would really meet with us and through the word and with the word, would you, would you teach us something? Would you show us something? Would you, would you reveal to us, even maybe some of us for the first time, who Jesus is and, and what he is about? Lord, my prayer is that, that myself included would leave with hope because we, we've seen Jesus and what he's done for us. And we pray in his name. Amen. Brian, um, might try moving forward or backward just a little bit? Yeah, how's that? No, it's actually those speakers in the back, I think. Um, okay, we'll try that. Okay, so check this out. You guys are close. I don't know if you know this. You guys are close to the Appalachian Trail, right? Running Appalachian, whatever, dude. Whatever, man. We can, we'll argue. We'll argue later, and you can correct me. I'm teachable, I hope. Um, anyway, running from Georgia to northern Maine, 
The AT is, now this, I looked up, I think this is correct. Some of you already want to argue with me, I can see it on your face. Um, this is what they say on their website, 2,181 miles long, okay? Every year, thousands of people kind of set out to hike the entire trail. Uh, you know, they kind of brave the elements, the bugs, the loneliness. Uh, and some people even spend June 21st. No, none of y'all know what that is. June 21st, hiking the trail naked. All right? Yeah. So some of y'all have done this, I guess. Uh, not you, not you. But some, I can see some people are like, yeah, it's like naked all the time. Anyway, so it, it is National Hike Naked Day. Right? Something like that. Okay, so some people do this. It's a real thing. The people, if you ever look into, like, stories about the AT, the people who hike the trail really come from, like, all kinds of crazy walks of life. It's fascinating. There's amazing books out there about the AT. Uh, a woman, nearly 80 years old, hiked the whole thing through hike, all 2,181 miles. A blind man named Bill Irwin hiked the AT with his dog, Orient, which is a solid dog name. It, it really is. Hike the trail. Uh, thousands start every year, but only a couple hundred finish every year. It's kind of the, the stats. And one thing that, if, if you pick up these stories and you read about firsthand accounts of people hiking the AT, one of the things you're going to see at some point, or if you talk to them and they really were kind of honest with you, at some point they're going to be telling you stories about their experience in the AT. Um, and they're going to talk about Doubt and fear. Um, life on the trail at some point will encounter doubt and fear. It's really fascinating. Um, you know, I mean, just think about the questions. I mean, especially if you're hiking by yourself. I mean, you really begin to think, am I going to make it to the end of this thing? I mean, really, Maine? I've never been there in my life. Um, you know, I don't know if I can. I don't, some people are like, I got to a point where I just don't know if I could be, I, I didn't know if I could be alone anymore. Like, I just could not be alone anymore. Um, you know, and some people are, like, really freaked out. They get really scared. They get injured. They get, I mean, et cetera, et cetera. I mean, I, you just fill in the blank. I mean, at some point, they encounter doubt and fear. And I don't think you have to be on the trail, the AT, to, to, to experience doubt and fear. I mean, anyone who has lived on the earth long enough, which isn't, you don't have to live here very long. I got a two-year-old and a three-year-old. There are times they freak out. All right? There are times they are really doubtful. Like, I don't know if I trust Dad right now because he just took something from me. And he obviously doesn't know I'm the boss. And so we've got to have a conversation later after I eat my goldfish. And so, like, at some point on this, like, you're going to experience doubt and fear. Like, it's just going to happen. And the Christian life is no different. It really is not. The Christian life is no different than time spent on the A.T., uh, and just living life, uh, people connected to Jesus will, uh, at some point, and probably more than once, experience doubt and fear. This is kind of part of the Christian life. And here's the thing I think is really interesting about Christians, is we don't know what to do with it. Like, we don't know what to, like, we don't even really like to talk about it. Like, doubt, fear, like, it's just something we don't want to talk about. It really freaks us out. But, it's there. And we know it, we feel it, we experience it. Well, in this story that we just read about, Peter, along with some other disciples, 
are experiencing both these things, uh, doubt and fear. And the questions I want us to think about tonight are just two. One, what do we learn from Jesus' words in this story? Because they're really powerful. Um, And then the other question is, what do we learn from Peter's walk? I mean, Peter actually walked on the water for a little bit. Uh, It's wild. And so, let's start out with, what do we learn from Jesus' words? Um, it would be easy to read this passage. I, I mean, I'm even guilty of this. To, like, read this passage and think Jesus' words, like, if you just want to, like, kind of look at what Jesus says in this passage, to start, they would begin in verse 27. You can look at it and see. Where we see him speak for the first time, but they actually, if you stop, you just think about it, his words actually begin in verses 22 to 24 at the beginning of this passage. You can see it. When he does what? When he prays. Whoa. That's where his words begin. When he prays. Um, look at verse 23. Um, and after he had dismissed the crowds, he went up on the mountain by himself to pray. And when evening came, he was there alone. Um, as you read the New Testament, especially the Gospels, one of the things you'll notice, it becomes clear really quick. It's like Jesus prayed a lot. He was always praying. Uh, he prayed with people. He prayed for people. And he would really often seek a solitary place for uninterrupted prayer, like time to be alone and pray. Here, Because this is a safe place where we can ask any question we want to ask and not, like, feel like somebody's going to get us, you know? Have you ever wondered why Jesus prayed? Like, seriously? Like, why did Jesus pray? I mean, did he need to pray? It's a good question to think about. Um, I mean, he is the Son of God. He's perfect. Like, I pray because I'm needy, and I'm messy. I'm sinful. Jesus was none of the, like, that's not Jesus. And so why, why did he pray? And one of the things we, you learn as you read the Bible, one of the things you learn about Jesus, and it's really hard, we can talk about it later. There's no way to kind of unpack this tonight. Um, so come talk to me if you're really just intrigued. Jesus is fully, truly God and fully, truly human. He's a man at the same time. Whoa. I know your minds are blown. You're trying to pick up the pieces. Uh, it's crazy, I know. So a major part of Jesus' saving work was being a perfect, properly functioning human being. And that involves communion with God. Like it just does. I mean, humans were created to be in fellowship with God. Um, And so Jesus praying, it, it was part of him being a properly functioning human being. I mean, he prayed for a couple a couple reasons. Uh, one, he, he prayed to have fellowship with God the Father, like to commune with him, to have a relationship, to fellowship. But he also prayed because he needed the Father. He also prayed because he needed the Father. I mean, think about it. Jesus was fully man, and so he was subject to temptation. Like, he, he got hungry. He got tired. He was leading like this ragtag group of disciples around. This really strange group of dudes. Um, he was leading them around. He, I mean, at times he was overwhelmed. I mean, he was a human being. And yet he was God at the same time. Uh, and so he prayed. And so if Jesus prayed, 
if Jesus prayed, he sought out time for uninterrupted prayer, um, I mean, how much more should we? You need to think about it. Like, all of you want to be, like, you want to be a good human being, <laughs> I think. And, and Jesus is showing, man, part of properly functioning humanity is fellowship with God, is communion with God, and, and that's done through prayer, for one thing. And so Jesus prays, but Jesus' words also comfort. Um, Jesus is, okay, at this point, by the way, I don't know about you, I read this story, I think, like, Jesus gets to the side of the hill or whatever, and he just kind of starts to pray, and he's like, he's just like, whatever he did, I don't know. Um, he's like praying for five minutes, and then he realized, gosh, the disciples, seriously. And he has to like go help them, right? Um, Jesus has been praying for hours at this moment. And he notices the disciples are caught in a storm. He can see. He can see out in the middle of the, the Sea of Galilee. Um, the disciples being caught in a storm in the middle of the sea usually is not a big deal for fishermen, right? That's, that's what they do. They're on the water all the time. They can handle some wind. They can handle some waves. But I want you to notice something in verse 25. It says, Jesus came to them in the fourth watch of the night. Let's unpack that for a second. That's between 3 a.m. and 6 a.m. They were on, this is funny. Um, It's probably not funny for them. They were on the lake rowing against the storm for at least nine hours. At least nine hours. And according to John's gospel, they had only gone about three miles. So if anybody knows anything about rowing, that's not good. Like, that's not good speed. That's not very good. Uh, And they were wanting to get to the other side. What I appreciated about the disciples was the persistence. Jesus says, hey, I need you to go to the other side. I'm going to go pray. I'm going to pray for y'all. He's going to go pray. And they're like, man, we're going. We're going to get to the other side. And it's like nine hours later. You know, they're just like still rowing the boat. And they're not to the other side. It's, I, I appreciate their persistence. It's amazing. So after hours of fighting the wind and the waves, Jesus, this is where it gets, this is wild. Jesus walks to them on the sea. Okay? And you see that in verse 25. Jesus a lot of times I think of like 10 steps. Do y'all ever, and when you envision it, like just 10 steps, just, you know, and the, the water's calm, and he's kind of like, this robe's not even wet. Um, that's, what I, that's, that's what's going on in my head. So, he walks about three miles on the sea, in the storm. Whoa. To get to the disciples. And when they see him coming, what do they do? They freak out. Verse 26, it says, they were terrified. That's strong language for the Bible, okay? They're terrified. None of you want to be terrified. And what did they do? They cried out in fear. They cried out. I would, yeah, I don't know what that would have been like. It would have been crazy. Um, I always think of my buddy Stephen. We were in, we were sailing one time, and he got separated from his, his battle buddy or whatever you call him. And he had a moment of panic where he didn't realize anybody was close to him, and so he literally freaks out. And this is a grown man, my friend. starts going, help me, help me, help me, help me, help me. He was like screaming. You could hear it. We could see him. He just couldn't see us. And it was just kind of like one of the funniest things in the world. And so like these dudes are crying out in fear. Jesus sees their weakness, fear. He kind of sees their uncertainty. And this is what's amazing. He does not respond with harsh criticism and condemnation. I mean, they just saw this dude 
They just saw Jesus feed 15,000 people. I mean, literally, maybe the day before, with five pieces of bread. And here they are freaking out in the storm. And you would just think, man, Jesus, like, they just don't get it. Yet, Jesus doesn't respond that way. Look at verse 27. But immediately, they're freaking out. Jesus spoke to them saying, take heart, it is I. Do not be afraid. Jesus immediately comforts the disciples. And I just don't think that's the way we think about Jesus. Um, I mean, Jesus cares tremendously about them um, in all their weakness. Like, he cares so much for them. And his reflex reaction to their fear are words of comfort. I mean, it's, he's, it's, he says, it's me. Relax. Uh, it's me. Relax. Guys, I, I control the waves. Like, the waves actually serve me. They do exactly what I tell them to all the time. And so he's like, Calm, you know, like, just rest assured. It is okay. Um, and for many of us, I think the first thing we think about Jesus, it, it's not comfort, I, I, I don't think. I think many of us, we, we struggle to think about that. Um, um, it's probably stuff like this. You can just kind of nod if you agree. Like, um, our first thought about Jesus is probably something like, he's mad at me. Anybody? Uh, he's mad at me. Or when we think of our own weakness, um, we believe his immediate response is disappointment. That's what we think. Man, when I'm weak and when I fail, Jesus will immediately be disappointed in me. That's just not what we see here in this story. Um, you know, what we see here is Jesus saying, do not be afraid. Like, these words of comfort are, as one pastor put it, it's amazing. He says, firmly anchored in the limitless power and infinite personal love of Jesus. Well, like that's what these words are. When he says, do not be afraid, that's what those words are anchored in. Limitless power and infinite love for them, for you. Um, and Jesus continues to say things like that to us today. I mean, he says things like, through the Bible. I am with you always. Right? I, I will never leave you or forsake you. Despite your shame, despite your weakness, despite whatever you come up with. Like, I don't leave my people, ever. Right? That's good news. And so Jesus' words are real comforting. And that's his reflex reaction to them in the midst of failure. And so the last thing, though, is Jesus' words, like, they command. Um, they carry kind of this they carry ultimate authority. Uh, I mean, think about it. As he's walking this three miles, I mean, he is commanding the molecules in the water. Like, they are doing exactly what they're supposed to do at that moment because he commands them by his words. Um, not only that, but he's commanding gravity. It's like he's saying, gravity, for, for a second, you're taking a break. You know what I'm saying? Like, you're just going to hold off. You're going to do what I say. And, and just by his words, he controls gravity and then at his word, the winds and the waves cease. And this is not the first time. This is actually the second story, which makes it even more amazing. This is the second story where the disciples are caught in a storm and freaking out. And he has to say, hey, don't be afraid. And then he's just like, ceases the storm right there. This is the second story like that. 
Um, and so at his word, Peter, he commands Peter to what? To come, and Peter walks on water. You see it in verse 29. And so when he says things to us like, you know, do not be afraid, it, it's comfort, like, it, it's comforting. And he can say that because he loves you infinitely and he has limitless power. So he can really be like, no, really, really, you don't have to be afraid, right? Um, but it's also not a suggestion. Like, that's the thing about Jesus' word. I mean, it's a calling. Like, it's a command to trust him. It's a command to trust him. Um, okay, so, Jesus' words. Now we're going to get to the really wild part of the story. Peter's walk. Walks on water, man. Seriously, a human being. Uh, besides Jesus. Um, I, I really love Peter. Like, the more I study and look at his life, it's, it's good. I mean, when he is good, Peter is really good. And when Peter is bad, he's like, he's like really bad. Um, I mean, he goes, I mean, think about it. Just throughout his life, he's, gonna, he's already done it. And we're not, I mean, we're halfway through Jesus' ministry. Um, he goes from trust to doubt, just like that. He goes from, from courage to fear, just like that, and then back to courage. It's like, wow, it's like a crazy. Absolute loyalty to complete denial, and then back to absolute loyalty. I mean, that sounds like my life. If I, if I was really honest, I mean, that sounds just like my life. Um, well, in verses 28 through 33, what you have is Peter being Peter, okay? Like he's impulsive. I mean, <laughs> the disciples are, I just think about it. Just go there for a second, okay? Try to go there. The disciples are freaking out. Jesus comes to them walking on water. They freak out more. And as soon as Peter hears Jesus' voice, this is his reaction. This is what Peter got. This is Peter. Y'all ready for this? Look at verse 28 and 29. Peter goes, and Peter answered him, Lord, if it is you, command me to come to you on the water. I would have never thought of that. If that's you, I'm going like, to walk to you. Like, I'm coming to you. Like, tell me to come and walk on water. Like, my, I would have never thought, hey, if Jesus can walk on water, so can I. This is going to be right. You know, like, that's just not what I would have done. Um, but that's what Peter does, because Peter is hilarious. Um, and what I want us to know about, I want us to notice a couple things about Peter's experience here as he's walking on water. Um, one, I want us to notice how Jesus responds to him. Uh, and really, the way he responds to Peter is the exact same way he responds to us today. Um, so we don't know exactly why Peter did what he did, but we think it's interesting. Um, but he thought, hey, Jesus can walk on water, then I'm going to. Like, I can too. And Peter literally got out of the boat into the waves, right? The storm's still going, guys. One calm. Like, just kind of like dip your toe in it. Check it out. It, oh, whoa, it's, yeah. I can really, and then go, no. Waves are going, it's crazy. Water splashing in his face, whatever. Um, and, it, and he literally gets out of the boat, and he begins to walk toward Jesus. The whole experience, though, begins with uncertainty. Did you notice, like, in verse 28, he goes, Lord, if it is you, right? And so it begins with uncertainty, uh, and then as soon as Peter takes his eyes off of Jesus and sees the wind in verse 30, what happens? The same thing that would happen to me, same thing that happened to us. Uh, fear and doubt come flooding in, and he sinks, man. He starts sinking like a rock. 
Um, and so what you see, like immediately, like Peter, Peter has some faith, but his faith is weak. I mean, he fails. Have you ever thought it's like, you and I fail? I don't know if you know that. We do. I fail more than you. Um, do you, but you don't really feel like you fail right in front of Jesus, do you? No, nobody can see you. You know, you bomb, but hey, nobody saw it. First of all, Jesus sees it, you know. Um, but anyway, Peter's right in front of Jesus and just totally fails. Like right in front of his face. The guy that just, like Peter, I mean, Jesus has healed Peter's mom. Jesus has fed 15,000 people. And here's Peter sinking like a rock. Um, but Peter, in the midst of the failure, this is what I love about Peter, he does the right thing. In the midst of failure, does the right thing. He cries out. And I want you to see, this is, I think, what's so good for us, is I want you to see how Jesus responds. Look at verse 30. Um, starting at that, that phrase, and beginning to sink, he cried out, Lord, save me. Jesus immediately reached out his hand and took hold of him. I mean, just think about that. Uh, Jesus saves Peter immediately despite his failure. I mean, we just don't think of Jesus that way. We just really, we struggle to believe that. Despite his failure, he saves Peter immediately. And that's the same way he works today, guys. And I, I think you've got to really hear that. Um, Jesus saves you despite your failure, despite your weakness, right? Despite your doubt. Like, those things do not disqualify Jesus' salvation, okay? And you've got to hear that. That's true. That is good. Um, and so... How should we? Um, how should we respond to Jesus? I, I, it's just a, I mean, Jesus is so good, right? And I, th- I hope that's pretty clear at this point in the passage. Like Jesus is really good. Um, how should we respond when we see and experience the goodness of God? How should we respond the same way the disciples? Like you don't need to think about this. It's it's right there. In verse 33, and those in the boat worshipped him, saying, truly you are the Son of God. And truly you are. We do the same thing the disciples did in this passage. Worship. And one, one guy I was reading, who's a really old pastor, he said, um, all true worship begins with a cry for help. All true worship begins with a cry for help. I thought that was really amazing. And so, here's, here's a question for you, just see if you can relate. Have you, ever, have you ever been in a relationship with someone kind of where the other person makes it all about them? I don't, know, I don't know if you've had that experience. Maybe it's not really a relationship, but like it's your mom and dad. Like that, that relationship is all about mom and dad. Is it anybody? Am I in the ballpark anywhere? Um, you know, maybe it's a friend, maybe it's a roommate, but no matter who the person is, every story, even fight, argument, whatever, uh, it always comes back to them. Like it always comes back. I don't know if y'all have had that experience. Um, they are always the center of the story. 
Is that, I don't know if that makes sense. Some of y'all are like, dude, I don't know that person. Um, and so maybe we've not experienced it from that side, but I bet at some point you and I have wanted to be the center of the story. Like we want to be the center of it all. Is that right? Does that make sense? Um, and so the tendency in, with this passage, and if you hear anything at all tonight, I want you to really hear about the next two minutes worth of stuff, okay? So, um, the tendency is to make Peter the center of this story. It's what we do. I can't tell how many camps I've been to, how many times I've heard teachers do this and Bible studies. We, may, we love making Peter the center of this story. And here's what that looks like. It kind of have, it's kind of a couple different ways. One approach goes this. Tell me if you can just kind of think if you've heard this. Peter is the man who steps out in faith. Dramatic, right? Takes a risk for God. And he does amazing things by keeping his eyes on Jesus. Now go be like Peter and keep your eyes on Jesus. And you're at this place, you're like, yeah. You know, like that's where you're at. I'm going to keep my eyes on you. And then they play some really emotional song and you're pumped for a couple days, right? Um, So that's one approach. Now here's the other approach. Here's the other approach. Peter is a great example of failure. Are y'all ready? This is so good. Uh, Peter's a great example of failure. See what happens when you take your eyes off Jesus? Therefore, don't be like Peter. Keep your eyes on Jesus. Essentially, it's the same thing. At first, they look kind of opposite. Like one saying, don't be like Peter, one saying, be like Peter. But they're actually telling you to do the same thing. Right? Both of these make the same mistake. Because what they do is they make this story all about Peter. All about what you need to do, right? And here's what I want here, this is so good. Peter's not the center of the story. Like Peter is, this story is not about Peter. Like Jesus is the center of this story. And, and when we see that, what you will begin to see is not what Peter does and, and what he doesn't do and what you need to do and what you don't need to do. When you get that Jesus is the center of the story, you, you begin to see that, man, you begin to see all that Jesus has done for you. I mean, think about this. Peter took his eyes off Jesus. I mean, he doubted, he failed, biggest butt of the night. But Peter's failure does not matter. Peter's failure does not matter because Jesus never took his eyes off Peter. Y'all get that? And he'll never take his eyes off you. That's the whole reason you're going to make it until the end. It's because he's going to keep his eyes on you. And, that, and that's not like a creepy, I'm watching you, and if you mess up, I'm going to slam you. No, that's a, I love you infinitely. And I'm going to make sure you're with me forever. Because I'm that good. Because I love you. Y'all get that? That's good news. Let's pray. Uh, Jesus, you are so good to us. Thank you uh, for your son. No, Jesus, you are the son. And thank you that you came and that you lived and that you died for us. Lord, I pray we see you tonight. I pray we worship you in spirit and truth. And we ask these things in your name. Amen.